0: You're listening to Consolidate That. Welcome to Consolidate That. Ivan, great to see you. And David, we've, uh, we're excited to have you. Ivan, why don't you introduce our guest today?
1: Hi, I'm Ivan Zak. Happy to introduce a friend of mine, David Strauss. So David comes with a business degree from University of Michigan, and then he worked at Guggenheim for about nine years before he became a co-founder of Patwell Partners, which is the group that successfully exited in December of last year. And they started that at 2013. They ended up in a 51 hospital in eight states. And David, welcome to the show. Thank you for finding the time guys. Great to be here.
0: David, I'm going to hop in. I'm, I'm going to say I'm I'm pretty happy to have David. Most of the time, Ivan just brings uh, DVMs and MBAs on. So, I'm happy to have uh, a person that we don't have 45 extra degrees like Ivan to participate.
1: So, thank you for being a somewhat normal person like I am. Sure. The success there, Ryan, is to do very little certificates that look good on your LinkedIn. So just do it. Be like, that's oh, what I do. I do a okay. bunch of little ones. I'm a notary. <laughs> Does that matter? There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, David, thank you for joining us. We kind of talked about several topics and obviously uh, Petwell is great success. That's been, you know, a, a big project. You guys ended at 51 Hospital, which is a sizable consolidation. What I want to talk about is about the early and maybe late challenges as well in how do you fund and how do you allocate resources towards operations versus acquisitions and also how you investors are looking at that problem. So sort of what I framed it into, consolidated challenge, not having enough money to operations until buying enough practices. So if you're okay, we'll kick off with that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely a little bit of a chicken or egg problem. Our
2: journey was unique. So when we started, we bought our first hospital in June, 2013. It took us about a year of putting together the business plan, raising the first round of seed funding, and sourcing that first acquisition. So we raised $3 million to get started from a group of 30 individuals. Back then, I think we were probably like the eighth or ninth kind of consolidator to enter into the industry. And so it's funny. I remember a friend of mine who was at a, at a large PE firm who would eventually make an a acquisition uh, in the space and had a successful exit, he told me, he's like, as, you know, as soon as you get to 10 million of EBITDA, give me a call and we'll, you know, we'd love to, you know, buy your company. And now I feel like if you have a, uh, you know, just like a heartbeat, you know, you can raise institutional money from these groups to go out and buy hospitals and, and, and build a business. So it was, it was a much different atmosphere back then. You know, like our first challenge was just getting over the skepticism of corporate you know, doctors didn't even want to talk to you. So we had to do a lot of work to kind of build credibility. But Ivan, kind of going to like the heart of your question, our focus was always on building something that was sustainable for the long run. And so we were probably over indexed to investing in operations in front of the growth. Just so that way, when we made promises to hospital owners and veterinarians, we felt like we would be able to deliver on those 100% of the time. And again, you know, credibility was so important. You know, in those early days, we've seen a lot of our peers kind of go about it in a much different way of just building out a, a massive BD organization, scale up really fast, get to 50 hospitals maybe in like a year or two years, and then start to you know build the operations around it. To us, that that strategy just always seemed riskier it's not necessarily a bad strategy but you've got to be really good at your site selection make sure that you kind of like maintain a lot of momentum and positive financial performance and and you could probably accomplish that a lot easier with like much more substantial financial backing to kind of get you to that point of critical mass so we would kind of raise money every year spend it you know go back and and you know at the end of the day we'd probably done you know five or six different financings to kind of get to where we where we were so it was a it wasn't a private equity backed models all kind of individuals and family investors you know which worked well for us but it definitely kind of i'd say influenced kind of our growth path compared to maybe some of the other kind of like institutionally backed groups that are out there so the other thing that i'd say just to kind of follow on is we really knew like some my co-founder david mervin and i we really knew what our strengths and our weaknesses were. So in like early days, you know, we started kind of thinking about like, who do we add to the team? Well, we had never operated a veterinary hospital before we bought one. So kind of first hire is get a really great operations person that knows how to walk into a hospital and expect what to see, knows what's good and knows what's bad. You know, shortly after we kind of augmented with. You know, people on the accounting side, people in HR, IT was a big one too. Like we we understand technology from a big perspective, but if a server goes down, we weren't the guys to fix it. So we wanted to think about what were some of the the areas where we could really help our hospitals, you know, from day one and kind of build a team to deliver those services.
0: Do you think that you were saying the chicken and the egg, right? So. Building the credibility piece without having credibility, do you think that the team that you built was a, a major component of that, or was it the fact that you got one hospital and then you did what you said and then used that as a referral or a reference source? Which
2: which do you think was more important? I mean, both are kind of critical. You know, the team obviously is uh, kind of very representative of the organization of a whole. So if you if you have some Weak players on your team, that's going to shine through and that's going to hurt your kind of reputation and credibility. And as the organization evolves, you know, obviously, you're going to have to continue to upgrade that team, too. And that's, you know, that's just a constant challenge, no matter what business you're in.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So digging a little further into it, because there's always interesting sort of balance between the EBITDA, the total revenue, and the corporate overhead. What would you say was the the original uh, sort of the first year or two or the first two rounds? What was the corporate overhead percentage in general? If that's okay to talk about that? Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, it's funny. So, so we never had bank financing. So a lot of the companies out there. Yeah, you know, they're very focused on consolidated EBITDA and understanding what their leverage ratio is because they have to comply with financial covenants. The way we financed our business was with equity from investors and then in some cases seller notes. That's that's where we got our debt financing. So because we never had to manage to quarterly financial covenants, we felt like we'd over-equitized the business. That gave us much more flexibility to kind of run heavier on corporate overhead. Knowing that once we got to scale, we could solve for that. So generally speaking, kind of our industry kind of for mature companies will be, you know, four to 5% of sales will be corporate overhead, you know, but that was a target for us, kind of like an end state, you know, many years we could have been much higher than that, you know, even 10 to 15% of sales, knowing that we're investing, you know, for the future and we would kind of grow into that corporate overhead if we had bank financing with quarterly covenants that's something that we probably wouldn't have been able to do which i think probably you know might have hurt us in the long run in terms of being able to kind of deliver on our strategy you know again our path was i think unique compared to most but you know we really just wanted to kind of like overinvest in the operations of the business and be able to kind of like generate and the other thing that i'll add to is by doing that we feel like we were able to you know, buy hospitals and really kind of like enhance like uh, same-store sales growth and EBITDA margin expansion and, and generate a lot of investor returns that way too.
0: Was there anything in the way that you were trying to buy hospitals that that financial modeling inhibited
2: you? It certainly made it hard to compete on the, on, on the much larger, higher margin hospitals. Our cost of capital was higher typically. So, you know, just especially like as the market heated up, uh, in the last like few years, you know, we had to really pick and choose our spots where we'd want to stretch on valuation, but you know, we weren't afraid to also like buy a hospital where we'd have to roll up our sleeves to you know maybe improve performance, and and to us that was exciting. You know, it wasn't just like a multiple arbitrage game, but how do we how do we unlock value through operations too?
1: A lot of those hospitals that you know called opportunity clinics, right? That you're buying with pretty low EBITDA. When you see the opportunity, I have sort of two questions maybe if you could maybe tackle. One is when you were looking at those, were you looking at synergies precisely before acquisition? So you're certain what you can improve after? So there's a plan prior to acquisition. That's question number one. And question number two about the same sort of hospitals, uh, those usually come in just general, if uh, if you look at the hospital's, with some uh, baggage so bad producing hospitals are not bad producing because they want to right so uh, there's usually aside from just operational inefficiency some cultural background so can you speak on those two topics maybe yeah absolutely so on the first
2: we got really good at kind of identifying where the opportunities were to improve prior to acquisition we may not be able to like pencil it out to the penny but we would know you know, is it a revenue issue? Is it a cost of goods sold issue? Is it a staffing issue? We were very careful not to buy hospitals where occupancy costs were too high, where you would have to like you know potentially grow into it. Those fixed costs you know can be challenging to overcome. But we got really excited if we would see a hospital that was had a very low ATC to us. That was maybe a indicator that um, the quality of the medicine probably wasn't as modern as it should be. And you know with Over time, maybe, you know, hiring in some more progressive doctors, you would see kind of a bump in terms of just like the mix of services being offered. So that was a a value unlock. Uh, We would get excited when we'd see a hospital with really high costs of goods sold. Typically, there's some mismanagement there. It could be a pricing exercise, could be just leveraging kind of the contracted pricing we had with our vendor partners, or, you know, it could be just kind of putting in place a much better inventory management system and protocol. So, you know, those were kind of value unlocks that we would look for. As we kind of moved on, we would start to use some tools like Vet Success, like VetCove to do more detailed analysis um, and kind of like get more granular data to help us uh, define what those synergy opportunities were. And, uh, you know, we were just always looking for ways to innovate. I think, you know, because of our kind of financing sources, we had to really kind of get creative and clever and we didn't have unlimited capital to just go out and buy, buy, buy. So I think we did try and kind of figure out ways to, to get better, get smarter. And at the end, you know, I think it paid off. Ivan, you'll have to
1: remind me of your second question. The second one was on the culture because a lot of these culture, culture yeah. cultural baggage. So did you have to at some point come in and really do a sort of clean up and, you know, replace people? And how did you go about that?
2: Yeah, so that's the hardest thing to diligence ahead of time. You know, oftentimes you'll meet the seller, maybe you meet like one other person on the team, but they they typically like to try and keep the transaction as quiet as possible. So you really don't know what you're walking into. For us, building the relationship with that selling doctor was incredibly important, knowing that you might have to replace some people at some point. You know, our goal was to hopefully maintain the entire team, but obviously that's, you know, that that's hard to achieve in every outcome. So for us, we wanted to really kind of have that good relationship with the doctor. So that way, to the extent we would have to make changes, you know, we could get them on board with those changes and try and minimize the disruption. But culture is really important, no doubt. We tried to build our pet well cultures that it was really positive, really strong. There'd be a lot of alignment, but we wanted to create enough space for each hospital to kind of maintain their legacy culture too. You know, it's not like we didn't rebrand the hospitals to petwell. We didn't ask everybody across the platform to like wear the same set of scrubs, for instance. It was funny, I remember our core has been in Texas, but then we expanded into seven other states and you know, our first hospital in Portland, Oregon, it's very different, you know, in urban Portland than it would be in a, you know, suburb of Houston or Dallas, and we just said, look, I mean, things that we were doing in Houston and Dallas just aren't going to fly here. So why, you know, why you know, force something onto somebody just for the sake of doing it. So we're just, you know, again, open-minded about that.
0: That's pretty smart too, because we do see a lot of the consolidators have a heavy regional focus. And as someone in Dallas that lived in Seattle for a year, my cowboy boots did not fit in very well up there. So you definitely get beat up for
1: that there. No one messes with the man in
0: cowboy boots. All right. You put on your boots. I'm in Houston. There you go. (laughs) But yeah, it's a different look. They had to be vegan cowboy boots. (laughs) But so one of the things you were talking about all the capital flooding in sort of the overall abundance of that, were there any particular things that if you were, you guys obviously have had a great partnership and and acquisition by NVA, which I know we're going to ask you some questions about in a moment here. But was there something about that capital coming in and the way other people have done it that maybe you would... Adjust going back, or if you were to say, "Hey, I'm going to do this whole thing over again, um, starting fresh today," that you would do differently with your capital structure, or not change?
2: No, look, I think we're eight years smarter now than when we started. You know, for us, we had a a really detailed business plan. I think it was like a 40 page you know memo that we put together, and for the most part, it was right. You know, we missed on a couple things, just like. Our ability to buy real estate, you know, we thought everybody would want to lease it to us. But but I definitely think that kind of having done it once, the second time around would be a lot easier and we would scale up much faster and we would definitely, you know, align the capital structure kind of with that in mind. But when you're doing it for the first time and, you know, your investors are, you know, friends and family and you don't want any kind of awkward Thanksgiving, Christmas dinners of like, hey, we need more money because we got to pay back the bank. You know, that was a heavy influence on how we kind of managed the business the first time around.
0: That's why Ivan and I stay, Ivan and I have never met in person just through Zoom, actually, despite the time that we've been working together. So it's, if we ever get awkward, I can just uh, lose internet connection. So it's a good way to do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Dave, aside from the capital structure and the aggressiveness, how you would go, what, looking back, what will you do different? Like you were starting tomorrow more consolidation. What will you yeah. do different?
2: So I do think I I do think we would acquire faster, you know. I think we just know now like which hospitals are really attractive and which ones to to go after. I, I'd say the two areas that we probably like under indexed were kind of marketing capabilities and also like on the biz dev side, you know, I me and my partner did a lot of it ourselves. We started to bring some people onto the team, you know, which was really beneficial, but that was only in the last couple of years. So I think you know, just kind of building out that side of the business more to scale up faster uh, would make sense.
1: So now what's next? So NVA obviously was a good family. You guys went through due diligence and what is next inside of NVA? What opportunities for the consolidator who reached certain point and wants to exit? What does it look like with NVA? What was the choice? Why NVA? And what are the next steps?
2: Yeah. So we've gotten to know the NVA team pretty well for the last, you know, few years. And I'd say, you know, for us, there's a tremendous amount of cultural alignment there. I think that's, you know, like the the classic, you know, business school case of like imminent. The reason why M&A fails is because of culture issues. Like we felt like we checked that box right away. And I think it gave them confidence too, to to partner with us. And I'd say, so it's been uh, three or four months now since the transaction's closed. And, you know, the partnership's probably even stronger now than when we first started. Like, you know, of course, there's going to be some hiccups here and there, but it's a very kind of, it's a very open and welcoming team. You know, that's kind of, their culture is also kind of pillared by like transparency and authenticity, just like ours was. And so, you know, we've been kind of able to work through any issues that have popped up really quickly. And, you know, I think, even when we first started eight years ago, you know, you kind of had VCA on one end of the spectrum and MBA on the other end of the spectrum. And, you know, as you're trying to like build your business, you kind of look to who the leaders in your industry are. And we just, we just kind of felt more comfortable kind of going the MBA route. So, you know, I think from that perspective, like it, it, it's always been, it's been kind of a nice natural fit. And when we looked at kind of like the different opportunities we had, you know, we just felt like. Instead of having to compete with MBA on deals, you know, we'd rather just join forces with them. You know, as an organization, they've got a much bigger bank account than Petwell had. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we've learned that we can share with MBA and kind of make the combined organization stronger. And, you know, they're growing like a rocket ship. And so it's just fun to kind of be part of that, continue to be part of that journey.
1: So another question related to that: As the coming in partner, because your yours role was mostly operational in Petwell, right? So, so you're coming in. There's strong team. They have operators' role. Do you fit into that, or is there flexibility provided to you, or like what is your role as a as a co-founder of consolidation going into another?
2: Concern? So both my partner and I, we've kind of moved out of the day-to-day operations of running the business and have kind of like plugged our network into their platform and that's going really well. And they have, the, the amount of resources they have would have taken us like 10 years to build and develop. So, I mean, like it's a net win for our hospitals and for our team, for sure. And then where David and I, Plug in is is just helping them out wherever we can. You know, we're kind of utility players, so help them out. Thinking through things like innovation, some of the tools that we use that maybe they're familiar with, maybe they're not, and just kind of sharing kind of how we got utility out of them. Um, and then also on the business development side too. You know, where we can they they have a BD machine that's probably the biggest and best in the in the industry. But like if we can play a role and be a reference or you know leverage our contacts to win more deals, you know that's what we're trying to do.
1: That's awesome. David, I, I would love to talk more, but we promise our listeners for 20 minutes episodes. So I'm hoping we can get you <laughs> back on here because there's so many topics yeah. that we can cover with you. Hopefully we can, uh, we can have you back. But we have two questions that we ask at the end. One of them is, is there a book or TED Talk or a YouTube video that inspired you or you find interesting to recommend to the listeners? Yeah, I love Malcolm
2: Gladwell's books and podcasts, but I think Outliers is a really good one. So, you know, I definitely, it's an, it's an, it's an oldie, but a goodie. Um, okay.
1: We're not scared of those. Yep. <laughs> and then the second question we ask, do you know anybody in the industry who would be also interesting to invite here and share their experience with the audience? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So there's a gentleman named Trey Cutler, who's uh, an attorney. Prior to being in the industry, he was a partner at a big law firm in Dallas. And then his father-in-law started rolling up hospitals and he went in-house to be the general counsel. Uh, eventually, they sold, and he just hung a shingle. So Trey's been part of this industry for a couple decades now, and he did all of our legal work on acquisitions, and represents a lot of individual sellers, um, you know, to, that are selling to you know associates or you know other kind of corporate consolidator groups. And I think he has a very interesting perspective of how the industry has evolved over time, and has a lot of kind of real time market
1: experience. So
2: that would be neat. Trey's a good. Trey's become a really good
1: friend and I think he'd be an uh, interesting guest to have on your show. Awesome. We'll, we'll reach out and if you can maybe shoot him a message or something to say that we're going to be contacting, that would be great. <laughs> Happily.
0: <laughs> oh, I just wanted to say, I know we didn't get a chance to dive too much into Rue, which is a, another great thing you have going on. But if people want to look at that, um, they can visit your website, roo.vet. ro vet. So I wanted to make sure that we got some, some info in there as a little teaser for some other great things you have going on.
1: Well, maybe we should add a couple of words on what Roo is. So, David, can you just give us a little? Yeah. So Roo the
2: first online marketplace that's connecting hospitals with veterinarians and technicians. And it provides a way for people to kind of on a very flexible basis kind of pick and choose the schedule that they want. Today, it's in Texas, and we've recently expanded into Southern California and, and excited to kind of expand more nationwide in the coming
1: months and years. That's awesome. Being a vet and doing locum work for for a long time, I think that this is a great opportunity for the vets to get that business organized, but also for the clinics that are now struggling with the finding the vets because we have more pets than vets these days. So that's uh, that's definitely a great project and good luck to you with uh, with that one as well. Thanks.
0: As always, you know we we appreciate having guests. David, again, like Ivan said, thank you for joining us. We look forward to maybe having some you know, back on the show again to pick your brains some more. And Ivan, thanks for for having me as well today.
2: Thanks, guys. All right. Look forward to doing it again. Thank you so much
0: for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com.